Well, friends, good morning. This is a time where we are, uh, just to announce, we normally have our kids leave the service, you know, to go to a family discipleship ministry, but this is a day, we on the fifth Sunday of the month, uh, we have a time for our kids to be in, in here, which is perfect timing because we're going to be talking about the verse in Matthew where Jesus says, let the children come to me. So I'm very excited to have our kids here with us. We, of course, we always want our children to participate in the worship service uh, every Sunday. We believe that's vital and important, um, but we especially want to highlight even t- today. So I want to invite all of us, all of us, to play, pay close attention, not just the kids playing bingo. I want to invite all of us to pay close attention to how Jesus interacts with children. That's what I invite you to pay close attention to how Jesus interacts with children. And you can go ahead and turn with your Bibles with me to Matthew 19, 13 through 15. Matthew 19, 13 through 15. And as you're turning there, just to want to remind you of what's been happening. We jump back in our series of Ma- in Matthew, the Gospel according to Matthew. And what we talked about last week is, is where Jesus, like, he's, especially in these verses, in the coming up verses, uh, in the upcoming chapters, he's talking a lot about the kingdom of heaven. You see this repeated a lot, this, this phrase, the kingdom of heaven. You're going to hear it a lot. The kingdom of heaven is like, and he gives, he gives these parables, he gives these illustrations, and he's always kind of coming back to what the kingdom is like. And he's re- repeatedly talking about that. So he wants to talk about the kingdom. And he's often doing that in response to how people are coming to him. The Pharisees, they come to Jesus, and what do they want to talk about? The law, right? That's what we talked about last week. Hey, Jesus, we want to talk about divorce. And what's the question, the first question that comes out of their mouth as they're trying to test Jesus? They say, is it lawful? Right? That's usually, you know a Pharisee, you you can identify a Pharisee when that's the first thing that comes out. Is it lawful? That's what a Pharisee cares about, the law of God, right? They want to make sure the law of God is being done. And we talked about that a little last week and, and how Jesus responded to their question and how they were trying to test him in his, uh, in his understanding about marriage and divorce. And what Jesus does is he kind of flips it on people. When they want to talk about the law, he, he pulls out, kind of pulls back and says, let's talk about the kingdom. You want to talk about the law? Let's talk about the kingdom. Well, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he often when he does that, he wants to talk about how we misuse and abuse the law and he wants to show us how if you really want to understand the law, you've got to understand the kingdom. If you really want to understand how to live and how to operate as, as a disciple, as a people, person who is following me, you've got to understand what the kingdom is like. It's an, a reality that we need to understand. And he takes advantage of every opportunity he's given. Jesus does, doesn't he? He always is looking for object lessons, taking advantage of the opportunities in front of him to show us, to show not only the Pharisees and the disciples, but to show us how we're operating in ways that are contrary to his kingdom. He wants to reveal to you and me how we are operating in ways that are not like his kingdom, and then he wants to show us what it looks like to operate in his kingdom. So let's look at this. Let's look at how he does this in verses 13 through 15. Matthew 19, 13 through 15. I want to read this. He says, then the children, then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. 
Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Praise to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that you speak to us, that you speak to all of us. You speak to children. You speak to adults. You speak to everybody in the room. Um, and thank you that you, you long for us to come to you, for children to come to you, that you want to be present, fully, fully present with us, and that you not only want to be fully present with us, you want to fully bless us. So we ask that in this moment, right now, as we look at your word, that we would be fully present with you and that you would fully bless us, Lord, that we would learn from your word. Lord, we pray that your word would be the power of salvation for all who believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I always enjoy watching shows and movies um, that include kind of this element where the, the fourth wall is kind of broken down. Do you know what I mean by that? Where like the act, so there's this wall, there's this sort of an invisible wall between the audience and the actors. And so there's been more and more shows, TV shows especially now, where, where the actors will kind of turn and look at the, the camera and they'll kind of break that fourth wall to kind of invite the audience into what is happening on, in that story. I love those shows because I love stories. I, I want to be a part of the story. When I read a story, when I watch a show, I want to be, like, I want to be a part of that. I want to be involved in it. Anybody like that in here? Stories include, I want it to be included in the story. And I find that fascinating because actually I think there's a, there's a dynamic at play when we, when we read Scripture. That there is a fourth wall that is broken down. We're, it's almost like sometimes I read the Scripture and I was like, what if, what if Jesus were to look at me right now? What if, Jesus, what if one of the disciples were to look at me? And, and that's actually what we believe about Scripture is that it's not only an event that took place at that time, but that event, it actually is true for all times and all places. So what's going on here, there's kind of a fourth wall being broken down, and we are included in this story. You're included in this story. Not just the Pharisees, not just the disciples. You and I are included in this story. So therefore, I want to invite you, not only, and this is true not only of this, this, this story, but also when you read the Gospels, when you read the Scriptures, I want to encourage you to imagine that. This is a, the, the Scriptures are alive. They are alive. They, can, they, they are at work. The Spirit has breathed life into them. And so there's a, there is, there is, there's a dynamic at play uh, where Jesus is actively involving us in his story. And even as we read the scriptures, that's true today. So what I want us to invite you into is to enter in and to immerse yourself into this story. Um, and as we do that, I want you to consider two parts of this scene, this scene that is taking place. So I think there's a challenge happening here, an invitation. There's a challenge that, that not only is just for the disciples, but it's for us. And there's an invitation that's not only for the disciples, but it's also for us. A challenge, the challenge is this. The challenge, the, the disciples, and we're going to talk about this, it was how they were holding back um, and how they were hindering children from coming to Jesus. And how, I want to ask you, how are, how are we doing? How am, I, how am I holding back and hindering children from coming to Jesus? And then the invitation is this, to let the children come. Let the children come to Jesus. So those are the two parts I want to invite you into. I want to invite you into that as we look together here. So first, the challenge. Do not hinder them. That's the challenge. First, let's look at verse 13. Verse 13 here, again. So there were crowds around, um, and in the crowds, the parents and the crowds, the families 
were trying to bring the children, and these were, these were actually very little children. You can see this where Jesus says this, the little children in verse 14. They were bringing little children to him that he might lay his hands on them um, and pray for them. And what happens? As people are trying to break through and trying to get, lay their children at Jesus' feet, bring them to Jesus, the disciples say, no. They re- he, the disciples rebuke the families. Why would the disciples do that? Why would somebody, I mean, you look at this maybe from our cultural standpoint, why doesn't, don't the disciples see? Jesus wants to be with everybody. Why would the disciples do this? And uh, Matthew, uh, uh, Matt Armstrong quoted Frederick Breener last week. We, uh, we, this is kind of the primary commentator we use for, for Matt, for the, the gospel according to Matthew. And I wanted to, to just, he, he says this, he says the only, he explains that the only answer that seems to make sense is that the disciples thought that Jesus' work should be confined to people who are more able than children. I'll say that again. He explains that the only answer that makes sense is that the disciples, for some reason, thought that Jesus' work should be confined to people who are more able than children. We may look at that culture, the culture back then and we say, oh man, what a shame. Children were not valued at that time. They were undervalued. We may look at it like that. And you might look at that and say, how terrible. You know, how terrible why, 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 that a culture would do that. Because we're in a time where kind of the pendulum has swung the other way. We're in a time where the culture in which we live highly values children. Where children are even often possibly overvalued. Right? Where we kind of put all of our attention and all of our focus on, on children. And the underlying point that Jesus wants to reveal here, I believe, is how we operate again, how we operate. And that we so often operate by this standard. We so often operate by the standard of how we're measuring our children's ability. The disciples were saying, let's measure these kids' ability. They're not able to come to Jesus. They're not able to come to Jesus, so they rebuked the parents. And I know as I read this, I was convicted about like how maybe I'm like the disciples, in which ways, maybe, I, maybe I, I overvalue my children, but I actually kind of do the same thing. Let me explain. We can operate in the same way because we're driven, I'm driven, to really care deeply and to care about creating structures and focusing all my attention on driving forward, my, making my children able. That's kind of what all my parenting is about. Is that for you? Is that if your parents in here? You're trying to make your kids able. Just trying to get them able in, in school. Wow. Sorry about that. Don't walk over here, kids. Thank you. Watch your hands, David. Um, I'm literally making... That was, a, that was on purpose. This is my inability. That is my inability to have a glass right here. So I have a, I'm unable to have a glass right here. <laughs> Don't measure my ability by that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, that is, I've never had that happen before. Yeah, I mean, I've, I preached in New York, and I've had rats run by my pulpit, but I've never had that happen before. <laughs> All right, let's go, go back to, so I, um, we, we often, and I often do this where I want to kind of give all my attention to kind of be on this trajectory of pushing my kids to b- make sure they're able, right? 
And don't, don't hear I'm not saying, like, that's, that's good and right. We want to be doing that. But the, 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 the tension here is that are, are we hyper-focused on that? Do we overstructure our kids and really focus so much on their abilities? And I'll give you an example of this, how I've seen this. I'm, the primary example I give this, where I've experienced this the most, uh, is uh, most, I was mo- um, most often involved in my kids' lives um, through sports. And uh, I spent 10 years coaching youth sports. Uh, I grew up, I love sports, and I, I've played sports, and I've, and I've um, enjoyed sports. And one of the things that I've noted uh, along the way is just how at a very young age, it seems like younger and younger and younger, there's this emphasis on getting your kids like the right skills and the right experience so that they can play at the highest level, even at age eight or nine or 10, so that they can make sure whether it's baseball or basketball or football, so that they can make sure that they're playing the right travel program, okay? And so, so the, there's this emphasis, and what happens is even the, the marketing has come to this where like, it basically it happens where like everything is focused on the professionalization of the sport so much so that the skills are focused on developing these, young, these little kids as young professionals, that they would be focusing on what a professional would be focusing on rather than just going out and playing, <laughs> having fun. You know, um, and I've, I've experienced that as a coach, that this is the case where there's, it seems like younger and younger and younger that there's this expectation that we're focusing on the ability and the skills of our young children so that they can become better. We just want to make them better. So for, for what purpose? And if you ask any, any parent who's a, whose kid's playing sport, well, a lot of times it's like, well, I want to get my kid a scholarship. I want to make sure that they're getting a scholarship, right? And I, I, did, I dealt with this in the Northeast as well when I lived in New York City. A lot of the uh, parents I was friends with were trying to get their kid at a very young age, not just in sports, but in education. They wanted to get their kids on that Ivy League track. Get my kid on that Ivy League track, even when they're in kindergarten. So it becomes like we're, we're just focusing and hyper-focusing on our kids' ability. And this is not, I mean, you could play that out not only in sports, not only in education, but that's true in so many areas in our culture today. Where we've, how we treat our kids is we are hyper-focused on their ability and making them able. Making them able kids. We even do that, and in, 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 I mean, we even, this even happens as parents. We care too much how we present our children to the public. <laughs> we want to make sure our kids are obedient and tidy, you know, not knocking glasses over kind of person, right? <laughs> like me. They, you know, we don't, want, we, don't, that, that's, we don't want them running around and being chaotic. We want them to be obedient and tidy. We want them to, to say, we got, our, my kids are able. That's what we even put on social media. Look at my kid. They're able. We want to highlight that. It's just all over how we operate. And I'm a, I'm, I'm, as a parent, I'm challenged by how I operate in unhealthy ways. And I think this kind of, this text just cuts right to my heart of how I can be hyper-focused on my children's abilities. And again, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's right to develop your children's abilities, but I'm talking about being hyper-focused on it. And I think we need to question. That's the challenge coming to us today. We need to question how am I hindering my child by hyper-focusing on this? Especially when it comes to their faith and the church. How, do, how does our hyper-focus on ability hinder our children from coming to Jesus? And I want to push this a little further before I move on to the next point. 
since we're, a cult, since we're in a culture that overfocuses on ability, where does that come from? Where does that, I mean, obviously it comes from our innate sense, but where does that come from? And I think we need to be, begin to evaluate this. You know, all, there's all this deconstruction happening in the church, and I think some of it's good. And one of the things I think I, I want to deconstruct is, like, where does this come from? Where does this desire to get my kids, I mean, it's such a thing that just drives me so much. Where does it come from? And I think a lot of it does come from just sort of the, the beginning of Western culture and Western philosophy with, for those of you students of philosophy, like Rene Descartes, when he said, I think, therefore I am, which was a, a helpful way of articulating philosophy. But I think we need to evaluate how that's influenced us. How has the Western philosophy affected the Christian church? I think sometimes we're blind to that reality. And I think we at least need to ask the question, because how does, that, how does Jesus fly in the face of that in this text? Because we're called to be people who are biblical, right? I think, therefore, I am. Is that how Jesus operates? Is that how he operates in this text? That's how the disciples were operating, right? They were thinking, hey, this, this little child can't necessarily come to Jesus. And here's, I just want to pose this question. I believe this is something, you know, in the church that we, we are a church that we're a reformed church and we always want to be reforming. And that's what I think we need to be reforming is how we are thinking about this. Do we use, and, and this is what I mean, do we use ability and knowledge in a way that hinders? And I recognize we're Presbyterian, we're people who love our theology, and I think we need to hear this. Are we people who, how do we, do we use our ability and knowledge in a way that hinders? Especially children and especially even the mentally disabled in our communities. What about the mentally disabled who can't think the way that we require them to think in order to come to Jesus? Have we professionalized the Christian faith in a way where it hinders people from coming to Jesus? I'm not going to propose answers. I'm just proposing questions that I think that we need to deconstruct a little bit. I'm going to move on to the second question. So those, that's the challenge I want to give you, those questions to ponder. And I want to I move into an invitation. Look back at verses 14. This is the second uh, part of the scene here. Verses 14 and 15. But Jesus said, <laughs> a key word, but. But Jesus said, it's always throughout the the Gospels. Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. So we ask the question, why, does, why do the disciples not want the uh, children to come to Jesus? Why does Jesus want the children to come to him? Why does he want them to be with him? And ultimately, this is straight from a lot of commentators say, because he, he is the kingdom. He is the embodiment of the kingdom. He is exactly what he is preaching about. He is the, the essence of it. Listen, you can actually, this, I actually prefer, I'm sorry, I prefer how Mark gives this. We're going to turn to Mark 10. Uh, I know we're in Matthew, but this is uh, what happens in the Gospels. Mark gives the, uh, the same account, but this is how he, you can turn there with me if you like. This is Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Listen to how Mark describes it. He says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. 
Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Mark has a different way of describing it. Um, Matthew 18, for those kids, I'm going to give you a little uh, Jesus, Matthew 18. I'm going I'm to go back here for you so you can get a little bingo word. At the very beginning of eight, Matthew 18, the disciples come to Jesus and they ask, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put them in the midst of them. He said, Truly I say to you, you must turn and become like children. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child, whoever humbles himself like this child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I didn't just say that so the kids could get the bingo. I said that because this is important for us to understand. There's a comp, in Mark chapter 10, uses the word blessed. And that's this Greek compound verb that actually it's like double blessed. It's like thoroughly blessed. It's like fully blessed. It's not just blessed. It's like he wanted to just fully bless the kids. He wanted to thoroughly bless them in all the ways that he could possibly bless them. And you guys, did you notice, even Matthew talks about it, he wanted to lay his hands on them, and he wanted to pray for them. So much of Jesus' ministry is all about how he, you know, touching people and the words he speaks, right? And he wanted to not only just say, hello, kids, he wanted to embrace them in his arms. Jesus wants to fully bless our kids. That is good news. He prays for them with his words. This is an invitation if there ever was one. Jesus wants children to come to him so that he can bless them. And it's not only, it's not only that he's inviting, he is inviting all of us to see how his kingdom works. And that challenges us to stop operating and hyper-focusing on this ability factor. But he actually kind of flips the script entirely. If you can put the, the quote up there, um, Wes, from Frederick Bruner, I want to read this. He completely flips the script to not just say, like, it's okay if your kid's messy and dirty. They can come to me. That's fine. But listen to, to how he, uh, he, Bruner talks about this. He says, according to Jesus, the dependent, the unable, the helpless, the passive, and weak are the real citizens of the heavenly kingdom. These are different people from those whom we usually allow to enter kingdoms, our kingdoms or clubs. Those whom instinct, whom our instinct disqualifies, Jesus qualifies. Again, Jesus doesn't just say, hey, you know, I know you're dirty, I know you're messy, and that's okay. You can kind of clean off over here. You can kind of, um, I, know you're, I know you're not able and you're dependent, but it's okay, you're fine. No, he, that's how he prefers you. <laughs> He doesn't want you to come with all your obedience and all your tidiness. He doesn't want us to bring even our children that way, which is relieving for me as a parent um, and relieving even more so for me for myself. <laughs> um, he actually makes the point not only about children, but to all of us. This is how the kingdom operates. This is how it operates. You have to become like a child. You have to become unable Dependent, humble, you have to become dirty and messy and chaotic. All those things where I'm like, no! Jesus is like, yes, that's what I want. 
This is how his kingdom operates. You have to become like a child in order to be a part of it. And I know that all of us want to, even right now, want to present our best selves here. I know, like, I want you to see my best self. You want me to see your best self. But I actually believe that all of you, (laughs) all of you have insecurities. All of you have uh, inabilities. You have incompetence. And the message, and I do too, I'm the first and foremost. I can't even keep a a glass of water right here. I think that was an object illustration that God wanted to. I have my own inabilities. We all have our own inabilities. And friends, the good news is this, is that Jesus is always saying, come as you are. Don't clean yourself up. Don't make yourself able. Come as you are right now. Come as you are. And every single bit of me doesn't want to do it because I operate like the law. I want to say, no, let me clean myself up. No, let me get myself able. No, let me, let me dust myself off. I don't want you to see that I can't, no, I can't keep a water, glass of water here. That's embarrassing, you know? And here, I, man, I, I can't have this sermon without quoting Mr. Rogers. He says this, I was, I was, it was so good. If you just need a good pick-me-up, just go watch Mr. Rogers or just read Mr. Rogers. He's so good. He says that one of our deepest desires, if not the deepest, is that you and I want to be loved and we want to be lovable. Don't hear what I'm not saying. He doesn't say, oh, he wants God to love you in all your unloveliness, which is true. But we really just want to know that we're lovable. That you're actually lovable. Not just likable, but that you, the way God made you, you, you're lovable. Including, and yes, we have all the theology of sin and including all that. Yes, you are lovable. You are lovable. And therefore, he says this. We desperately need to be accepted and loved as we are. And that's what this text is showing us. That's what this text is showing us. You are accepted and loved as you are. That was the whole message of Mr. Rogers. He says, and and I think this is, let's be in this moment here because I know our theology can help inform all this, but at the same time he says, as you are, you need to know you're loved, not for who you will become, but as you are right now. So often I think we want to say, we want to add that modification, like that, we want to modify it and say, well, Jesus is going to love me for who I'm going to become, how I'm going to walk in his ways, which is true. Jesus wants to get you on that path. But first, we have to start with this, because so many people will lose faith in Christ because they don't believe this. And there's so many of us who are willing to possibly leave the faith because we don't believe this. And I'm inviting you into this to believe it, that you are lovable because God made you in his image. He made you in his image, and he loves you as you are. Children, Jesus loves you as you are. And that's the message we need to tell them. I am constantly having to repent as a parent (laughs) and come back to this because I operate on the, the, the trajectory of, oh, let me, let me make you into who I want you to become. This is news for me. And I'm going to push this a little further. I'm going to put this, push this a little further here. 
how can we let the children come to Jesus? And I think a primary application is that we bring them to church. This is amazing. So they can hear the word preached, right? We take them, on, not, on, not on these Sundays, but when family discipleship ministry is operating, we take them into family discipleship ministry, classes and we let them hear the good news of the stories of Jesus. And here's what I want to at least ask. Like, I need to ask myself this, and I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself this, especially if you're a parent or a part of this community. How can we begin to include our children in the sacraments? You can talk to me or one of our elders about this, but there's an invitation here to bring our children to where Jesus is present. And he's present in the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments of baptism and Lord's Supper. That is an invitation. And he not only invites us, and in, he not only invites and includes the weak, the unable, and the dependent, it doesn't stop there. He actually uses them to bring his kingdom on earth. He doesn't just say, hey, come, it's okay, you can come in. Let me, let me redeem you. He actually uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong, right? He uses the weak things of the world to bring his kingdom on earth. This is why I love classic stories where the child is the hero, right? I'm going to give you three examples of my favorite, three of, three of my favorite stories. One of which is not like the other. See if you can pick it out. One of which is not like the other. First, Lord of the Rings is one of my favorite stories. We talk about it a lot. What happens in Lord of the Rings? What does Tolkien write? He uses Frodo and Sam who are hobbits, the smallest creatures, the most insignificant creatures on Middle Earth. And what does he do? He tells a story where they are the ones who go and defeat evil and save Middle Earth. They become the heroes who destroy evil. Second story, Harry Potter. Harry Potter is given this power when? As a newborn baby, when he has no ability. Why is he given this power? Because, oh, well, because of love. His parents, Voldemort comes and, and kills his parents, but his parents have this love for him where even Voldemort cannot, and all his great evil power cannot pass through love, right? And so Harry Potter becomes this hero who destroys evil. And there's no greater power than love that is, and that's bestowed upon him. Now the third one, throw you a little curveball here, is Stranger Things. It's Halloween, I had to put it in here. Yes, right? Where who? The, the story, if you watch Stranger Things, um, there's the, the main character, Eleven. This child, and go with me here, who is taken and made a product of testing so that she could have the greatest abilities, <laughs> right? She's made a product of testing. She escapes and uses those powers to destroy evil and to close the gate to the upside down. Um, and then G.K. Chesterton, uh, he says that he has this quote where he talks about fairy tales. He says, fairy tales don't tell children that dragons exist. Kids already know that. Kids already know that dragons exist, that evil exists. Fairy tales tell you, tell children, that the dragons can be defeated. That's why we need stories like that. And even fairy tales tell you that it can become, it, it, that saving can come from the weakest and most dependent of all. And <laughs> what do all these stories point to? 
the reality of the kingdom of God, that God would choose the weak to shame the strong. And he did that in Jesus himself. Jesus himself became weak and dependent. Think about this. He became weak and dependent in his birth, in his life, and in his death so that he might destroy evil and so that we might be saved through him. Friends, this is the reality of the kingdom of God. It's a challenge and an invitation that I ask you and I to consider from this text. Let's pray together. Father, thanks so much for this this text. I pray that we would be challenged and invited, all of us, to know the realities of your kingdom is so often upside down in how we understand it. We want to operate in the old ways, the ways of presenting our best selves and presenting our children with all their abilities. But you say, no, come as you are. And so we ask that you would just continue to show us your ways, the ways of the kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.